welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We got Brad Freeman back on the show. Uh, we're on the every four week cadence now. So, Brad, uh, you recommended, or not recommended, you chose Lululemon for the research this week. Uh, why, why the choice? Uh, I know you said you wear some of the items, so maybe that's why. Yeah, it's half my wardrobe. Um, so if this is going on YouTube, you could probably see that I'm in my car right now and there are wasps flying around in the house that I'm supposed to be in. So uh, it's okay. We're, we're, we're doing well and, and moving on. Uh, but Lululemon. So um, it's no secret that 2022 has not been a fun time for investors. It's no secret that there's a lot of headwinds um, looking looking ahead into the rest of the year. And so um, my cash position has, has kind of grown um, in the last several months. And, and on the other side of that, really fixating on, well, what can overcome all this really not fun stuff and what what can be that actual secular compounder that um, that we all covet and what was actually relying on Jerome Powell printing trillions of dollars and, and negative real interest rates and all that stuff. So for me, Lululemon is one of those companies that I'm, I'm very interested in watching kind of throughout this process. So for me, selfishly, um, you guys doing some of the research for me is, is always is always nice. So uh, Lululemon, um, it's, it's high on the watch list and excited to dig in. Yeah, it's mutual. We always that's that's the cheat code that way. Yeah, that's the, the uh, cheat code of the show. Uh, as everyone's researching for outsourced everyone. outsourced research. <laughs> yep. And as we'll get into, Lululemon has proven to be that secular compounder and is guiding to their goal is to continue that with that really GDP plus 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 growth uh, over the next five years. But I'm gonna let Ryan introduce him. But first, let's talk about our sponsor today, and that is Potential Multi Beggars. The aim of the Potential Multibagger service is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. Now, these could be something like Shopify, finding that early. And now I know Shopify has had a huge run up and run down, but even when uh, Potential Multibaggers made their recommendation on this, has put out their research on it, it was way, they're, they're still quite in the green on this. So, it's still to, a multi-bagger. It is still a multi-bagger. And the key with the service is that they hold the picks for a long period of time. Of course, they have to continue performing well to hold them. And Chris, the man behind potential multi-baggers, who, as we mentioned, has been on the show frequently, calls this buy and verify. So if there's any scary headlines, if there's any new news out there, if there's any other research reports that cause the stock to move, he'll be giving updates to you. So if you want a partner, within your growth investing uh, portfolio. And if you want the help with that and you don't want to do this all on your own, the multi-bagger service is a perfect uh, asset for you. And if you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value, Google it, or go to at From Value on Twitter. The link is also in the show notes. Ryan, do you want to introduce Lululemon? Yeah, I will. Most people, I think, have a pretty good idea of what they do, but I'll give a brief description anyways. Lululemon is a designer, distributor, and retailer of apparel and accessories, primarily like they call it healthy lifestyle apparel. Um, 
it's some some people they have workout clothes, but some of it's casual clothes, and it ranges. The products range from men's clothes to women's clothes. Uh, I believe women accounted for, according to the 10K, they accounted for 67 percent of sales in 2021. Um, so still primarily women, but there are uh, uh, plenty of men that shot there as well. One, yeah, Brad just raised his hand. One common trait among their clothes is their different products is the simplicity of design. You're not going to see any like prominent graphics or logos. Typically it's usually one color, very basic and the logos tiny. Um, but you can, you can spot it, I guess. Uh, like people know the typical Lululemon look, I think. Um, and then I'm going to kind of go through the life of the, it doesn't provide any value to just go over and over what Lululemon does, but I'll go over the life of a product so you can kind of get an understanding of the logistics. So for the development stage, Lululemon employs a number of researchers, scientists, engineers, and designers that all help come up with different product designs. From there, Lululemon partners with several inspection, verification, and testing companies who test various performance characteristics, things like sweat absorption, uh, shrinkage after the washer or dryer, uh, stuff like that. And then once a product is ready to be developed, Lululemon has 65 different fabric suppliers that it procures from and 41 vendors that manufacture for them. So just under 70% of their manufacturers are based in Vietnam, Cambodia, and Sri Lanka, with the majority of those being in Vietnam. Once a product is made, it's shipped to one of Lululemon's various uh, distribution facilities, which are all located in either Australia, the US, or Canada. All of these are pretty much leased except one, which is in Ohio. So they lease most of their distribution facilities. Um, and then once they make it to the DCs, the products are either sent to the retail stores based on inventory needs or directly to consumers' homes if it's an e-commerce purchase. Um, and then the the last thing I'll say, I know a lot of people, especially anyone that's studying retail, the focus lately has been on the supply chain. That's been a hot topic. So I found this stat kind of helpful. From 2019 to 2021, costs incurred to transport products from Lululemon's distribution facilities to its retail locations and e-commerce guests increased by 154%. Do you, Part do of you that, know what, you probably don't have it in front of you. Do you know what revenue was? Didn't it compound at like 20 something percent over that same time period? Yeah, this the, the, the I'm not exactly sure what the revenue growth was, but the costs, the transport costs exceeded revenue growth. Part of that though, keep in mind, this is distribution centers to the endpoint. So either that's the retail store or the customer's home. Part of that could have been the increase in e-commerce orders. I imagine fulfillment, fulfilling e-commerce orders is probably more expensive than bringing it bringing a large shipment to uh, a retail location. So a lot of returns to deal with too, which is pretty expensive. About 25% of e-commerce is returned. So. And then as far as history goes, Lululemon was hit originally founded uh, by someone I would call or characterize as an in interesting character. Uh, his name's Chip Wilson. He started the store in 1998 in Vancouver, Canada. Chip Wilson received a bachelor's degree in economics from Calgary and he always seemed to have an interest in retail. Uh, he actually started a store that was that sold like skater surfer snowboarder clothes in 1979 and ended up selling it 20 years later and ended up starting lululemon which at the time was a uh design studio during the day but a yoga studio at night and he did have a lot of success with this he found a lot of like found very successful product market fit and was able to sell that within two years they had a standalone location for lululemon gear 
However, he's had some quotes that I would say make him no longer a part of Lululemon over the years. He's, well, some, he's not anymore, right? He, he's not. He's no longer on the board. He may still own some shares. I think, Brad, you looked at ownership. He might have been on there. Um, but they, they had a little more context. 2007, they IPO. 2008, they hired a new CEO, but he was still involved with the company for a long time. And he said a few things. I'm going to bring... I'm going to mention some of them. So he named the company Lululemon apparently because Japanese people couldn't pronounce the letter L. I don't know if that was like a competitive thing, but he said, it's funny to watch them try and say it. Not a good quote. He also had this really weird blog post in 2009 where he attributed Lululemon's success to the rise of birth control. Um, That doesn't make sense. In the article, he says birth control gave rise to the power woman. Uh, and he wrapped it up by by saying, ultimately, Lululemon was formed because female education levels, breast cancer, yoga slash athletics, and the desire to dress feminine came together all at one time. Well, that's non-coherent. I mean, there's some reasons <laughs> that I think there's some reasons that uh, people wear Lululemon that we probably don't want to discuss because it's just not spoken, you know, but yeah. like that, those are the reasons for it. Just to be clear, he's no longer a part of it. <laughs> Which is probably a positive. Brad? I mean. So Toby Lucky Shopify, he's never said anything that like misogynistic or anything like that, or, but snowboard shop beginnings and, and says a lot of <laughs> things. I don't know. There's some, there's there's some parallels here. Yeah. Uh, but that was, I mean, the, the only reason I bring that stuff up is because he was, it's the history section and he was a crucial part of the founding story, obviously the founder. And he just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably for the best that he's not. A part yeah. Of the it's like anymore. different than Nike who Phil Knight's been around forever there. Uh, but for Lou Lemon, it's kind of, they just, it's not like a bad thing, but they have a bunch of outside managers now, or even if they, they probably, they could be there for 10 years. So maybe they're like the new insiders. It's, it's a different sort of um, corporate culture, I guess, than maybe the founder. Uh, but that's probably a good thing. All right. I'll hit industry and competition. Super simple. Uh, I think, Going through this business, I actually was trying to find some things to look at because the business isn't really that complicated. Uh, the athleisure industry uh, is surprisingly large, maybe to some people, but maybe not to younger people. It was estimated to be about $411 billion in 2021 and is projected to hit $793 billion in 2028. The, that's a rough estimate, but it is growing quickly and there's a secular tailwind here yes ryan i have a question have we ever looked at a company where the projections for the industry were that it would decline, it would decline? no no that's what i'm saying i look at these every time and i can never find anything so take it what you will I, yeah. tobacco i that one's pretty well known but true this one it's pretty simple you don't need to get the exact numbers of oh it's going to be 800 billion dollars lululemon's going to take x percentage of it there is a secular tailwind here over the last decades and maybe even century, uh, people have been dressing more casually and Lululemon is taking advantage of that. Competitors out there, there's tons, but the big dogs are Nike and Adidas. Uh, and then there are just tons of smaller brands that you might group as the Instagram-based competitors, uh, as, as among others. Um, I don't need to name them all, but there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them that probably do like 100 million in revenue a year or less or maybe a billion in revenue or less. There's probably a few different tiers. Essentially, anyone that is looking to steal wallet share among athleisure shoppers 
I'm sure for any female listeners, the few that we have uh, that are on Instagram or you guys too, there's so many different companies trying to steal Blue Women's Thunder. All right, Brad, do you want to hit management here? Sure. I'll do the big three. So CEO is Calvin McDonald. Uh, He's currently a Disney board member. He was the president of Sephora, also the president of Sears Canada. Um, So, but, but that's okay. Um, 85% glass door rating. I I make that joke every single time we say like um, AOL or or, or Sears. Yeah, it's okay. They've learned learned what what a bad company looks like. Exactly. We'll spin it positive when we want to. (laughs) Right. And then large, really large. So 5,000 review glass door sample size, 85% ranking. Um, not everyone loves that metric, but, but I, I like to look at it. CFO is Megan Frank, former VP at Ross and J crew and a director at Saks Fifth Avenue. CTO, which interesting that they have a CTO, but Ryan just explained to you why they do. Um, CIO at, at oh, it's supposed to say REI, uh, VP at Nordstrom, and then professor or adjunct professor at Seattle University, which I found kind of cool. Um, so in terms of ownership, uh, it's not so it's not founder owned as Ryan kind of uh, laid out for you. Uh, but McDonald owns, owns a small portion of the float outright, so under one percent. But there are special founder shares, or not, I shouldn't say founder shares, there are special executive shares, I guess I should say, that kind of boost their voting power in aggregate by 4% overall. So not a ton of voting power, but it's not super uncommon when you have companies that have had several different leadership teams um, and have been around for a long time. But uh, there are a few funds with hefty stakes. I I didn't know about Chip's background. Um, So if, if you're interested in Lululemon, and I'll be looking into this afterwards, check to see if FMR LLC, which owns 14.4% of the voting power, um, is, is, is associated with him in any way, shape or form because um, I think, pretty, I've sorry, heard of that. Fidelity. I think that's Fidelity's uh, oh. fund. So that could be, yeah, that's their acronym. Chip for, I, I believe Chip has, last thing I saw was that he was selling or liquidating a lot of his Lululemon stake to fund his son's huh. retail store concept. So it seems like he's an, a serial entrepreneur. And so it makes sense that he's kind of, Maybe like Travis Kalanick with Uber, like, oh, you got rid of me. I'll, I'll just go show you up and, and do something like else. Like a spite sell. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but so so that makes a lot more sense. Fidelity. And then so pretty much every bellwether is listed um, here. So Vanguard at 7%, T-Row Price at 6%, BlackRock at 6%, Prudential at 6%. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty impressive roster um, in, in terms of votership power or voting power. Yeah. And speaking on that CTO thing, I did listen to a good chunk of their analyst day that they recently did. Um, and they did talk a ton about this technology stuff that they're researching in. I didn't necessarily know what to think of whether like this is good or kind of just are, are they trying to hype up something that's not that important. Uh, but they do go into detail. So if you're interested in that, I would listen there. It's for you. Credentials to advance, confidence to stand out in your career. At Regent University, you'll join more than 30,000 world changers making a difference in high-demand fields. Pursue your bachelor's, master's, or doctorate online or on campus in Virginia Beach. Your degree from top-ranked Regent University is waiting. So is the world you will elevate. Say yes to your purpose and position yourself for a brighter future. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Regent.edu slash learn more. All right, I'll hit valuation quick. Since this is a retailer with no complications, uh, it's a lot better than what were the last two ones we did Farfetch and Carvana with so many complications. Oh, um, the market cap though, it'll be easy to understand this one, $34.6 billion tickers, L U L U. So just the first three letters of their company name price to sales, 5.2 price to gross profit, 9.2 and price to operating income of 24. 
with a retailer like this, I, I like to use operating income because the inventory can uh, whip around the cash flow and a little bit inconsistently, and they're not going to have weird it's more of a standard business from a gap accountings perspective. So I don't, I think operating income is probably my preferred metric for valuing this business. Share count has started to come down due to the buyback program. Um, they're fairly mature and cash generative. So I don't think share count is a big concern, but definitely something to watch as the share price has gotten depressed in the last year or so. Hopefully they take advantage of that or we'll see how much they want to. All right, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah, so their first quarter was what I would call really solid for uh, a retailer because a lot of the retailers are reporting pretty bad quarters uh, and Lululemon is not. So net revenue was $1.6 billion. That was up 32% year over year. Just for reference, they've done about just under $7 billion in revenue the last 12 months. So if you're trying to get a grasp on the size of the business, hopefully that number provides some context. But like I said, $1.6 billion in revenue for the quarter, up 32% year over year. Total comp sales increased 28%. And that that comes from a combination of 24% comp store sales growth and a 32% increase in direct to consumer net revenue. So that for anyone that's unfamiliar with retailers, same store sales. So how much revenue they're each store is generating compared to last year. Uh 24% growth is really, really solid. Yeah. Um, so are they counting D2C as just one store? That's that? No, that's comparable sales. From, okay, okay. So not, yeah. they, so they, just sales they growth. aggregate it as, well, that's maybe it's confusing. from the same customers. That's confusing. Yeah, maybe. I'd have to look at the, def- yeah, we'd have to look at the definition. I f- yeah, but comp store sales, that number is. Comp store sales was up 24% year over year. Gross margin was 53.9%. That, that's really high for a retailer, um, but it was actually down slightly from last year. Part of that is the rise in cost of goods sold, the rise in freight costs and shipping, um, but their operating margin actually increased versus last year. So really impressive that they were able to decrease sales general and administrative as a percentage of the revenue operating margin for the quarter was 16.1%. Also during the quarter, 20% of their Chinese stores which China is not a small market for them. It accounts for about 15% of their entire store base. 20% of those stores were closed during the first quarter, completely closed. And they were able to beat their revenue guidance. So that to me well, isn't stood it, out. The lockdown could be a tad bit of a tailwind since people can't spend money on vacations in China. What do you mean? Like, didn't that happen in 2020? Unless I'm reading into this wrong, where lockdowns are a bit of a tailwind for a business like this? I don't see how it'd be. I mean, with the because stores, the DTC. complete store closures? E- even so, yeah. They, I mean, they, I listened to the conference call and it did not sound like a tailwind. They said they were, they talked about how they were able to be, it was an impressive feat that they were able to beat their own guidance considering that Chinese stores were closed. Okay. Well, hey, no. I was, just a little confused there, but uh, they were, they also opened five new stores during the quarter. Total store count grew 11% year over year. So comp store sales increasing 24%, store count increasing 11%. Those are kind of the two metrics you want to pay attention to for a retailer. Um, they did not, part of why they were able to do better than retailers 
during this quarter was they said that last year, because they target sort of a higher income demographic, they did not see a boost last year with stimulus checks. So they didn't really change spending power of their consumers. So uh, there wasn't that tough comp that a lot of the retailers saw. Also, one more note, during the quarter, they bought back $233 million worth of stock. That reduced the share count by about 0.25% during the quarter. So if you annualize that, they'd be reducing share count by about 1%. All right, Brad, you want to hit balance sheets? Yeah. And then also wonderfully straightforward here, which I can only imagine what Carvana's looked like. But uh, so balance sheet and liquidity, so 650 million in cash versus about 1.25 billion year over year. Um, they added 300 million in inventory. So it's a sort it's a use of cash um, that, that Brett was talking about, which, which messes with uh, cash flow margins on, on a quarterly basis and why operating income is, is important. Um, very profitable. It has a $400 million five-year credit revolver. It's got about 99% of this untapped. So, so pretty much all untapped. Um, all of the rates, uh, it, or with with the rate, I'm sorry, with rates below two percent, and then so uh, for mainland China, which as we just heard is a, is a big part of their, or not a big part, but a, a considerable part of their store plan has another uh, twenty million dollar revolver, um, which was raised to thirty five million, and that's also untapped. Um, issued in outstanding share counts, extremely similar, so um, no heavy dilution imminent in the, in the near future, and sounds like that buyback is is nicely shrinking that share count. Um, but I mean, and this is extremely common, there, there's a lot more shares authorized. So, so if they want to make a, a large splash in M&A land or anything, they're, they're, they're free to do so if they want to use equity um, or, or to hire some new talent in, in this in this uh, world. But but yeah, that, that pretty much sums up balance sheet and liquidity. Yeah. And to add on the inventory, don't, I, for anyone like follows them, I think you know, but don't ignore inventory, but it can mask the cash flow. We don't want them inventory growing faster than their top line. Um, all right. The, the right. other thing is they they have a pretty they do a good job of selling through their inventory on I forget what it's called Brad you might know but there's like the Lululemon um like uh like a rack the rack yeah it's kind of like a Nordstrom rack for Lululemon on the website um huh. that they utilize and you can almost because they turn they're able to turn over products so fast and expand or like innovate. And uh, I guess innovate is probably the right word. You can almost call stuff that's been, that you weren't able to buy or you're no longer able to buy in store, like retro Lululemon stuff. And you can only get it from their, uh, from their inventory. So it's kind of nice that way, but obviously with the retailer, you don't want them, uh, you don't want them holding on to the clothes for too long. You want them to sell through it pretty quickly or else they're going to have to mark that down. Yeah. In general, watch inventory. Some managers will be, uh, they'll try to downplay it, but it sometimes can be an indicator that there's a lot of risk there. Probably not happening with Lululemon, but it can happen with a lot of others. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? 
It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, anecdotal evidence. Uh, Brad, you're up first. I want to figure out why <laughs> you guys like these clothes so much, because it could be you know, a bullish indicator or something like yeah. that. So, Brad? It's, it's a large portion of my wardrobe. Um, I think, so I'll try to explain this the best I can. It, it's, it's like, it's not flashy. It's extremely comfortable. There's no brand. I don't like to be flashy, but I kind of like to like wear nice clothing. So it's kind of a way to do that without like standing out and wearing like a, like a Louis Vuitton or whatever it is. Um, so, so, and it, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's like a $50 shirt. It's not like a, it's not like Louis Vuitton. It's, it's sort of like, uh, or ne- never, or I'm, I'm digressing, but basically very comfortable, not flashy, and you can wear it to go out or you can wear it to work out. Very flexible. So yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I like yeah. it. But they're it's not versatile. Ex- they're not exclusively that, you know, thing though. So what separates them? What do you mean? There's dozens of other companies that sell that same thing. Uh, yeah. Nice, I don't high think, quality. First of all, well, with less brand. I'm literally wearing some right now. Okay. I. Have you ever tried it? I no, but I'm. I know the the concept the, is similar. All right. I'll. You asked for anecdotal evidence, so I'll give you my experience. <laughs> I. I look good in it better than I look in other clothes. I'm wearing Lululemon pants right now. FYI, the pants might be the best men's product they've ever come out with. It, you're allowed to wear, they look like slacks and they feel like sweats. Secondly, there is a social signaling element to it. Like you, let's so say, that's I, let's say that's I'm the separation. Out. I mean, it's also comfortable and looks good, but the, if I'm out, and someone sees the Lululemon logo, it's not like, it's not a Louis Vuitton logo, but it means it signals affluence, like, like that you can afford Lululemon. And it's not like it's this crazy purchase price, but it means you, I guess you're like, you care about how you look and it's not a target shirt. Mm. So there is, there's certainly a social signaling element to the business model. But I just am so confused. And there's, there's, there's plenty of other brands like that. So what, like, like what? Kim Shark and yeah, Roan, Mack Weldon. I don't know. It's just yeah, but those aren't recognizable. It feels, it's like, like golfers. But that, I thought the point golfers. was not to see the logo. It's so like you golfers. don't even know. No, it's it's that you, it's that right. the logo isn't the most noticeable thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can. If I see someone in a Lululemon, like Lululemon, if I see a guy in Lululemon pants, I know that they're Lululemon pants, even if. Uh. Even if I don't, yeah. well, like, I guess that's a mystery to me. I don't yeah, know. There is logo, because of, it's like the Pro V one of 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 golf balls. Yes, like, make a comparison that you <laughs> can understand. The I don't. I, that, that's not. I don't understand that comparison. Golf okay, balls. Well, are. It just 
it just it just feels better when you're looking down at the tee and you see Pro V1 looking back up at you. I don't know. That, 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 <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to understand. Well, it's very important to, <clears throat> to, to any sort of. It's it's probably the most important thing to the investment thesis. What is the brand selling? Because like I get confused on that. Like Quality. Nike. Yeah, I get confused. Nike is selling like athletic greatness. I don't. I get a little confused on what. Lululemon is selling with their brand. That's just the whole holdup for me. I, I, I'm like personally, whatever it doesn't matter, but I, I just get a little bit confused. It's like I can, I can buy it that works, shirt, but I just good looks and wealth. But is that honest. is that as modi as That's what incredibly modi? Those are like things that people but, strive to look for all the time. I know, but that no, I, I don't know if it's as big of a moat as Nike's because Nike could have said that ten years ago. No, no, it's different though. It's because it's different, like. Oh, obviously, Lululemon has executed phenomenally, but I is the defensibility there because I just worry about. Uh, I would say yes. My answer would be yes. I think I, I think this is extremely subjective, um, and it's kind of it's kind of what you have to kind of decide on your own if you think this is a viable investment or not. I think this is the question: how how strong is the brand equity? Because when you're investing in a consumer discretionary brand, you are relying on it staying relevant for a long time, and and that has to happen. So. I, I think yes. Um, other people will think no. And I think that's kind of our, our reader or viewership bases um, job. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, think I, don't, the, I don't know. The pricing power also explains it. Yeah. If you're able to constantly raise prices, which they have, and I still go back and purchase, I mean, it's a testament to the brand. Yeah. I don't know if my answer is no, but I just, that's what my, concerns are in my head about the durability compared to a Nike or Adidas. All right. Uh, future growth opportunities. I got no anecdotal evidence. I don't know. But future growth <laughs> yeah. opportunities, Brad. Yeah. So international expansion, um, it seems pretty early innings there. Uh, I, I've, I've heard, so I brought up Lululemon on Twitter and, and got all of these uh, messages from people in Spain and Italy about um, stores opening to extremely long lines. So um, some more anecdotal evidence, but, but future growth opportunities just in that in Western Europe, um, in some parts of APAC, th- this niche of, of uh, affluent consumers has a very large, very large cohort to, to go after. And, and I think it's very early for them there. So, yeah, Europe will be a tougher hill to climb, but it seems like the trend, the overall trend has, uh, you know, formal wear is more um, common there. But yeah, the opportunity is still quite, quite large. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's like Athleisure's really got big in the United States, and I think it's kind of blossoming from there. Um, so we'll see how how effectively you can do that for them. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, if the market share can get the same as the United States, that r- reminds me: is part of the importance here the stores? Is the store because it feels like they have a, a everyone calls a store an Apple strategy store, but do they have it? From what I've seen walking around their locations, the way they're presented, do they, and the way they treat their employees as kind of these <laughs> like uh, high quality, maybe it's more for the women. The free tailoring is really nice. Sorry. The free tailoring is really a really nice perk. They, they'll, they'll like tailor your clothes for you for free. They're not very well, good. That could be an advantage. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not an advantage over Nike who I bring them up. They're not really that big of a competitor with Nike, but the, uh, it's definitely an advantage. The store is probably over a smaller D to C that can't have that. Yeah. It gives a good, like for first time, I think e-commerce is more catered to repeat purchasers, but for the first time customer having the store um, to go in, 
see different products, be able to try them on. And then you know what you like, you know what your size is for whatever pants you, you don't have to go in next time, but I definitely think it helps for the first original customer. Yeah. All right, Ryan, what's your future growth opportunity? It seems like you have an anti future growth opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think YouTube took the two that I probably would have gone with. Um, I was thinking about saying smoothie bars inside the stores no, uh, no. and they did try that in Chicago uh, just because it kind of plays into the whole healthy lifestyle athleisure thing, but that's, that's really next cool. that let's next that. That's why, that's why it's not on my uh, future growth opportunities. My future growth opportunity is that they don't make any more acquisitions. I think they've done a terrible job. And so, uh, you don't like mirror. Just, what, uh, what have they done besides mirror that I'm unaware of? That's all that matters. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that's been bad, but I don't know if they've made any other ones, but I don't want to see them make another mirror acquisition. Yeah. Uh, they don't even talk about that anymore. They talked about at the analyst day. They, they brought in a new head of that and they have a mirror plus subscription. So shout out. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's going to, yeah, game changer. Uh, they're going to write off that whole thing. No, I, I think that, yeah, I think so too. The, uh, the game plan is pretty simple here. Add new stores, continue to expand your product offering into other, uh, th- they've done a good job with it so far, but other lines, other categories. Um, and then I also think by expanding your product offering, it makes it gives you a little more, it gives me as an investor a sense, a better sense of surety that they're not just like a one product company. Like they maybe were whatever, 15 years ago with yoga pants. Right. And there's more. Yeah. You've got men that like the Lululemon brand for a lot of reasons. Women like it for a lot of reasons as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Also continue to increase prices. I think you've got a customer base that can eat those price increases. What do you think is, what's the ceiling? They're at what a hundred bucks for a pant now. What's the ceiling? At least one hundred eight. One hundred thirty is what they. One hundred thirty dollars is what their pants cost, depending on which. Oh, I, I was doing. I, I was doing the. Um, I looked up the or the elastics, the yoga pants. It was a hundred, but yeah, the you're talking the other types. I think. I mean, it it always changes, like with each year. But if the well, there's a difference between are these. Like, here's the question. Are these Jordan shoes that can have basically infinite pricing power? I don't think so. But are they whatever the quality Nike shoes that they can pump up 10 bucks a year, you know, 150 to 200 bucks? I would think they can gradually, gradually increase prices at, I don't know, probably a mid single digit to high single digit clip. The, my, the thing is they last long enough in my experience that I have no problem paying a high cost because I don't have to go in and buy them again in a year. Yeah. But that's a lot of, I mean, that's Nike. I've had Nike shoes for five years. You know, you've had Nike shoes for five years. Yeah. They're high quality. That is impressive. You get a good pair. I don't, I can't say I've ever had like a frequent shoe that I use five years, but the, uh, I don't know. That's, that's sort of the basics of, the the way they're going to grow and then buy back shares opportunistically when the time's right. I think they did it well this quarter. If it stays where it's at right now, I got a feeling they'll do more this year. Yeah, for sure. All right. My opportunity is shoes. Uh, they just entered this. Um, they launched, what was it? March, I think was the official launch. Some around it pretty recently. They said it went really, really well. 
it would be tough to dethrone uh, the top dogs, Nike and Adidas, uh, in running shoes, which is basically what they entered in, uh, and flip-flops as well, I believe, or slides, which are two adjacent categories. But this is a gigantic category. I I don't have the numbers. I probably should have gotten them, but their shoes are huge, as everyone is well aware of. And they could be the next big thing for Lululemon to keep revenue growing at that 15% to 20% clip this decade, because yeah, I don't really think there's anything else. There's no complications here. Shoes are huge. They execute well. That's a whole nother thing. Instead of someone buying the pants for a hundred something bucks and that's it, you can double that. You can double your, you know, the shoes and the pants. Without more customer acquisition cost. So, yeah. Yeah. If they I talk were, about their technology with them and I'm like, yeah, 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 I got it. Every company talks about that, but either way, they, it seemed the demand seemed to be there. It, yeah. I'm looking at their shoes right now. It looks like they're primarily for women. It's limited. Yeah. There's only women limited now. Yeah. Hmm. That seems like the next easy market for them, but I feel like shoes are just hard to get right. Yeah. I worry about them competing with again, the established players. All right. Highlights, lowlights, Brad, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think this is a generation or generational brand. Um, I, I think uh, it's Nike and Adidas and then Lulu. Clearly it used to be Nike, Adidas and Under Armour. And I think they've obviously clearly replaced them as, as that number three brand and carved out a really appealing um, niche with more affluent customers, especially as inflation rages on and, um, the discretionary um, purchases become a little bit less palatable. I mean, for the more affluent consumer, they'll they'll still shop at Lululemon. They're less impacted. So, um, so that. But then also, just thinking on the macro theme, um, like Brett was saying, there are so many knockoffs of Lululemon, um, and, and that fringe customer that can sort of afford Lululemon but maybe sort of not, they're they're probably going to be more motivated to go seek those discounts um, as the economy continues to weaken. Gymshark is is as a brand we threw out there, but there are a lot more. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that would be, um, the low light for me, uh, is, is how, again, how different, and, and I don't have the answer to this. It's very subjective. How strong is their brand versus all the other cheaper options where, um, they'll, they'll continue to fetch these sales and this demand across economic cycles. I guess if pricing, uh, not pricing, um, consumer pricing power, not power. What am I saying? They're the, the firepower in their wallets. If there's a recession that hits, whatever, all that, all that sort of stuff, I get, I think the listeners understand it'll be a good test for Lululemon. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Highlights for me, four things. Uh, really remarkable brand. I, I think you can, I can kind of sense it when I wear it and you can just, you can kind of just tell anecdotally uh, they have a resilient consumer demographic uh, it's much better in a recession, I imagine, to be with the high-income demographic than penny pinchers. Uh, potentially, like I would rather be with the Lululemon than a Target in this instance. Um, they also have a history of really successful product expansion, which I like to see, and I think they have pricing power. Low lights for me. Uh, the the mirror acquisition felt like a FOMO acquisition. It felt like that when it happened. Yeah. Well, are we talking about what we forgot to talk about the Peloton apparel line, which as people said, was going to be as big as Lululemon. No, sorry. That's a, Oh, uh, I thought, I thought you meant Lululemon launched a Peloton apparel line. No, no. Peloton. Remember Peloton apparel guys? When Foley's wife was going to take that over before they all collapsed. (laughs) Sorry. That's a side note, but 
anyway, the mirror acquisition was, a, in my opinion, an absolute waste of $500 million. That is, I, that's $500 million that could have been returned to shareholders in some way or used to expand store count. It is that, a big knock on management. Yeah, that is sort of a big, I don't know, I'd call it a yellow flag for management. I, I don't like when management teams do stupid M&A. Um, I also struggle with retail, like as optimistic as I am about the Lululemon brand. How optimistic would you have been on Under Armour in 2012? Like mm. I would have been. Or LA gear in 1980. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, it goes through trends. I think they've done a good job for me, making me feel a little more safe as an investor because they've been able to diversify across uh, genders and categories, but that still doesn't completely like save them from brand tarnishment down the road. Yeah. And they can't like lock up the lifetime. I don't know. Yeah. I have a harder time, uh, getting to like the lifetime value and moat, like describing that with a a retail company. Well, cause Mm -hmm. they can't lock up like LeBron James. It's not, one economical for them and two it doesn't make sense are there is there any way they can separate themselves even further do like dust they could maybe go no they they said oh they, johnson isn't he on their analyst day yeah there's there's some there's on the analyst day they said they had they said they got the 20th ranked uh women's tennis player in the world yeah. and i was like she would crush me in tennis but i was like guys come on all right yeah that's huh. hey good for her she probably got a lot yeah. of money but I'll uh, I'll hit my highlights. I mean, high margin category. Uh, a lot of the, I don't know, retail concepts or whatever. They don't have the margin. There's room here to say absorb some cost pressures, stuff like that. Um, they elevated themselves the last say five to seven years out of kind of like the middle of the pack D 2 C brands, which is really really tough to do. And it seems like the hard part is probably over. And then the omni channel strategy. I do like how that gives them an advantage. Uh, like we were talking about before, catering to the core customer. And then I do like the potential expansion into shoes. Low lights, high employee count of 29,000 gives them a major risk to wage inflation. And I think um, if they talk about how the Lululemon employee is so important to them that they might have some pricing power in their wages that uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, they have that great glass door rating, but I, I think there's a risk there. Um, the product, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least they won't be moving to be Peloton instructors anytime soon. Right. Uh, the products made in Asia. Also, there's the transportation and energy costs there. Ryan mentioned that before they're growing faster than, um, revenue. And while that's not something that's like a huge negative, it's just makes the business or not the business, the industry just, you know, just makes it less attractive. Yeah. And then like I mentioned before, I don't truly understand the brand they're selling. I feel like they need it. Maybe this is how the CEOs are talking, not CEOs, the executives are talking at the analyst day, but it was a bit like mismatch. Um, I'm sure their commercials are better in how they talk, but yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen yeah. lemon commercials or whatever. Well, they advertise it somewhat, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Uh, let's go bull case. Brad, what do you have? 
Yeah. So I'm going to tie my bull and bear case together because it's pretty much yin and yang. This happens or it doesn't happen. Um, and it is it, the main theme of this is, is brand strength and brand equity and brand durability and how sustainable do we think that can be? And that really builds or doesn't build um, the investment case is, is being really appealing. Uh, so it's, it's bull case. This is a, this is a, a luxury Nike, a luxury Adidas. Uh, with with a with the kind of a, a more affluent niche, and then bear case. I brought up the name LA Gear, which was in I think half of my economic textbooks um, in in undergraduate on, on just a case study of of a juggernaut in fashion and and in and in luxury fashion, not luxury, but but in, but in everyday fashion um, in the 1980s that just really disappeared because they stopped releasing relevant SKUs, and, and that's always a risk for companies like this. So, yeah, I'll I'll go ahead uh, just to put some numbers on it. If they generate 10 percent. Uh, comp sales, so their stores generate 10% growth each year, and they grow store count by 5% each year, and their operating margin stays steady for the next five. So all that is five-year projections. That gets them to just under $14 billion in revenue and about $3 billion in operating income. Assuming 20 times operating income in year five, that would be about a $60 billion market cap. Today, I think it's $34 billion, so you're almost getting a double over five years, all those numbers seem very realistic to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, sure. I mean, we, I'm sorry to chime in. We, we do, we do companies where I think we're used to seeing 20 times sales and this is at 27 times earnings. So it's kind of like, ah, that's not that, but, but I, I digress. Sorry, go ahead. And that's yeah. even like, uh, I'm putting 20 times operating income on my bull case, but that's cheaper than it's traded at historically. So you could see a world where the valuation is higher than that. Yeah. Five. I don't, I don't even like know that, but even though Nike has historically traded at a premium, at least recent history, I don't believe these type of companies deserve a premium multiple, but uh, who that could be some upside you have here uh, because sometimes they do. And um, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt again. I, I think that Nike deserves it, but Lululemon doesn't deserve it. But if Lululemon can kind of catapult themselves into that Nike category, then they will deserve it. If that sort of makes sense. That I think, I think that does make sense. Um, yeah. I have a similar stuff. I mean, if they go grow close to their target, which is to double revenue by 2026 based off of 2021, I believe um, it might be a different year, but pretty close. And they main close take maintain close to current profit margins stock will do fine. Uh, there's nothing really else about it. Even if you get a little bit multiple compression. All right. Well, bear case, Brad, you said LA gear, uh, yeah. which, you know, losing the brand strength, Ryan. Was- it's not likely, but, but that's the, yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, I guess my bear case is that cost increases persist and they have a hard time totally passing th- that through to the consumer. Um, so if, mar- if operating margins go from last 12 months, they've been at about 20%. If they went drop down to between 10 and 15%. I could see this be being an underperforming, uh, underperforming relative to the market investment. Also, if the China uh, COVID policy gets worse and they have a hard time over there since that's sort of an emerging market for them and it's, it's now a pretty sizable chunk of their store base. Yeah, it makes sense. Mine's similar margin compression. I feel like is a big risk here just because it is fairly healthy. And then if you combine that with top line growth slowing, um, there's some argument to be made that there was an acceleration in athleisure over the last three years. I think so, that's a good argument. Yeah. So I wonder whether they were growing quicker than they will be. That is it is it concern to me. And if that slows down combined with margin compression, 
That's not a good recipe for success. All right. More or less interested, Brad? More for me, for sure. All right, Ryan. More. I, I hate I hate investing in retail, but more. It's trading at one of its cheapest valuations, and it's a business and brand I really like. Yeah, I want to say more, but it feels like this is a five, three to five bagger potential over the next, I don't know, decade, right? Yeah. Like there's so much potential here, but I can never get a good read on retail. I think I need to make an artificial rule to just avoid the sector. But remember the Brett inverse retail ETF. No, no. We said that about Peloton. I was right. I was correct. You <laughs> said revolve right? in your inverse ETF for retail. My, yeah. I, hey, we said that about Peloton. <laughs> The Brett Retail Short Book. Yeah. No, the <laughs> it, there's an easy path to this being a great investment. Here's the big concern. I for me, I just don't like brand moats. I think that's the, the that's concern. I get nervous about brand moats. And again, listening to their analyst day, their execution has been fantastic and hats off to them. But they have to work so hard. I don't want companies to have to work hard. That's fair. All right. Let's, so is that less interesting? Yeah, uh, less interested, but obviously Climbing fantastic business. Yeah. Really I'm peeking cool. over. I'm peeking, peeking through. Peeking over the fence. I, I will be watching what they're doing. Brad, your choice for four weeks from now, what do you got for us? I feel like in 20 years, Brett's going to have a child that only shops at Lululemon. <laughs> he's going he's to be like, damn, now I have to own the stock. But, 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 <laughs> well, dude, if once, they, if they it do. starts impacting your bank account, you'll see. <laughs> uh, but we are shifting from uh, one of the brands that I consume the most to the other brand that I consume the most. So from Lululemon to Chipotle um, for, for our next episode. So I think I eat there more than any other restaurant in, in the world. So uh, a fan of them as well and, and excited to dig in. And All right. For, two for, favorite compounders that the stocks are down. And for anyone that follows Brett on Twitter, <laughs> they know that Brett had a bad burrito and he is contemplating Chipotle's quality. So I look forward the, to this. Bear case. <laughs> the, the, the food quality has gone down. That is a bear case. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember to give us a review on either Spotify or iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Brad, uh, stock market nerd. Stockmarketnerd.com. All right. That's going to do it. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 